Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This is the Ocean Protect podcast. Talking about the issues that face our oceans and what we can do about it. Presented by Ocean Protect, committed to change. Shannon Mead, welcome to the Ocean Protect podcast. Thank you very much. Good to be here. Very good. Now, we actually met a couple of weeks ago, I think it was, in, in Sydney at the, at the Litter Congress. That's the one. If you don't mind me saying, Shannon, you were the standout speaker. Appreciate that. I thought you spoke very well. Not to say anything bad about the other speakers because there was a very high quality speakers, but in my humble opinion, you were the standout. And we actually uh, got chatting, uh, I think at the end of the first day, a little social function. And, and I was, I remember sort of standing talking to you engrossed in this conversation, talking about cigarette butts and no more butts, which we we'll get to. And I remember thinking, Oh man, I wish I had my podcast recording equipment with me right now. But I said to you, Shannon, look, you're just going to have to come on our podcast and talk all about essentially what we've just talked about. So here we are a couple of weeks later. Here we are. Oh, it was a great event. Yeah, thanks for the feedback. I mean, there was so many good presenters across so many different and amazing, you know, environmental organisations, government, etc. As well. So, awesome event to be part of, and a fantastic uh, sunset on the uh, on the rooftop for social drinks after. It was pretty spectacular. Yeah, Sydney was shining on on that uh, evening. And to be honest, I always like going to those events because. They do fill you with a bit of sense of, I guess, hope and optimism because you're, you're surrounded by all these cool individuals motivated to change the world and help make the world a better place. And you sort of end up walking away with a little bit sort of excited and optimistic about the future. So yeah, that's always a positive. Hundred percent. I think you know the, the the learnings and the positives you take out of events like that. You know, be able to come back and share the message with you know in our case our team of volunteers, as well as just the networking opportunity. Obviously, meeting yourself and the team. But there were so many you know like minded organisations around that uh, you know you could stop and have a chat about whether it was butts, whether it's about IoT, whether it's data, whether it's the litter journey. You know, it's uh, no shortage of, of exciting conversation. Yeah. And look, one of the things that I have seen talked about uh, a little bit at the little Congress before. So I've been on previous sort of Congress events and, and there's an overwhelming message around how bad the cigarette butt problem is. And it's one of those things, one of the things I, I love uh, on, on this podcast is we sort of talk about things that often people don't think too much about. And, and certainly cigarette butts is 
actually a, a surprisingly or potentially unsurprisingly, but I'll say surprisingly, significant issue when it comes to litter. And, and I know your title is uh, Chief Butt Officer at No More Butts. <laughs> and, and No More Butts is, a, is a, actually a recent initiative, which I'll get you to talk at in a sec. But we love truth bombs on this podcast. We, we drop truth bombs at every opportunity. And, and I want you to just drop some of the truth bombs that maybe some people might not be aware about in relation to litter. So I'll give you the floor. Uh, it's all yours. Uh, I hope you're sitting down. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I think the, the major stat which we use in Australia is 8 billion cigarette butts littered every year, and that's billion, not million. So we estimate, you know, there's up to 24 billion consumed. It's probably slightly lower now that, you know, um, smoking rates are actually reducing. But no matter how many billions there are, um, so WWF through a report commissioned by Boston Consulting Group last year estimated 8 billion billion cigarette butts are littered into the Australian environment every single year. And the issue is not just the littering, but the fact that they can take up to 15 years to break down. So depending on environmental conditions, it's what you call photodegradable. So, you know, if it's dark and murky whilst it's sitting there in the water, it's unlikely to get the sunlight and break it down. So it's likely to stay around pretty much as a microplastic for up to 15 years. And of course, that can then create the issues with marine life ingestion and, and everything else. And of course, then if it's on the land, it can create fires, bushfires. There's notable, uh, there's I think four and a half thousand from the uh, New South Wales Fire and Rescue annually fires attributed to cigarette-related infringements. So whether that's you know dropping a lit butt, whether that's smoking in the bed and catching on fire. So these statistics are crazy in Australia. If you look globally, 4.5 trillion cigarette butts are littered annually. It is number one littered item, certainly in Australia and most places around the world. So different figures come from different places. You'd say about 20% of reported litter from Clean Up Australia. So one in five items collected on Clean Up Australia Day is a cigarette butt. They're really small. The thing is, though, that um, I did some estimates. If they all came together in like one location, call it a giant ashtray, if you will, it would actually fill up the size of a place like Margaret Court Arena in five years. So if, you know, everyone just flicked their butt into Margaret Court Arena, it would actually fill to the rooftop. Uh, it's a pretty disgusting image. Yeah, it is. It is a Look, I, I'm not a smoker. And to be honest, I don't like smokers. Uh, I think it's a, an appalling habit. But that aside, it's a staggering uh, set of statistics you, you, you drop on us. So just getting back to that initial number, and when I heard it, I actually did some, as an engineer, I, I picked out a spreadsheet yeah. and did some numbers. But it's eight, 8 billion with a B. Yep. 8 billion cigarettes littered just in Australia every year. And I actually worked out, okay, so there's a Australian population is about 25 million yep. and looked up the stats is about 12% of, uh, of Australians actually smoke. Smoking full time, yeah. And look, if you look at the stats, that basically works out to be 2,500 cigarette butts littered for every smoker. Uh, every year. Yep. So 2,500 uh, cigarette butts is littered by the average smoker, the average smoker every year. And that works out to be just under seven ciggies a, a day. 50 a week. It's cra- yeah, 50 a week. Yeah, absolutely. 50 a week, seven a day. And that's the average. Yep. So if, if you're a pack a day smoker, or it, pe- the smoking numbers are slightly lower now, but you're absolutely right. Um, so it's not just the people that smoke, that's the people that litter. Yeah. Um, there are people that smoke and do the right thing. Yeah. Kudos to them. As you said, smoking itself, um, you can call it a disgusting habit. I'm an ex-smoker. Yeah. Um, reformed from that. Our focus is not about whether or not you smoke. If you want to make that damage to your body despite all the health warnings, so be it. 
but just don't damage the environment in the in the process of it. Yeah, but the numbers are staggering. And to be honest, I never really thought too much about it. Like I'm an environmental engineer, passionate about the environment. It wasn't until probably two things, I guess, at Ocean Protect, we put in um, storm trip devices, so little gully baskets often, and, and we see firsthand the overwhelming proportion of littered items that we see captured in our gully baskets are cigarette butts, hands down. I'd actually argue that probably might have been more than 20%, but I, mean, I never forget going to a Sea Shepherd Australia cleanup day at a beach down the Gold Coast and... Honestly, we were just just picking up cigarette butts just for ages. And I, I'd say 80% of the items that we picked up were just cigarette butts. They're little, tiny little things. And I guess the other thing that I took away from your talk as well, which is, again, it's not something you really think about too often, but you, you think of cigarettes and you often think of them as almost as paper. Obviously, a proportion of the cigarette is paper, but obviously there's those little filters, yeah. which are obviously uh, not paper. They're, a plastic. They're plastic. Crazy, hey? Yeah. 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 And obviously that can cause damage. They can cause caught up in, you know, seabirds, et cetera. And obviously their filters are also really good in terms of absorbing a whole bunch of pollutants in the cigarette smoke. That's exactly what they're for. But I guess by virtue of the fact that their filters, when they say, for example, discharge to the ocean environment, they're, they're still very, very good at absorbing pollutants. Yes. So if, a, say, a seagull swallowed a cigarette but it's not just the plastic that that seabird might ingest. It's actually all the other pollutants that would be essentially absorbed by that cigarette butt. So a harmless little thing actually is a significant issue. It's, it's massive. You know, it's, it's one of the largest, smallest issues, basically, yeah. size-wise. You know, it's so insignificant. Uh, but damage-wise, it's it's massive. I think you, you raised so many great points just then. You know, number one, the index or how many you see in the water versus what you might see on the ground. So if you're at Clean Up Australia Day, for example, and you pick up one in five pieces, that's probably because you've actually had a lot washed down the stormwater and into the bay, mm. and that's why you're seeing more. Yeah. And that comes down to the habit. So people will flick their cigarette because they don't believe it's litter. Mm. They believe it's paper, maybe cotton wool. So they will flick that into the drains, and then they will either sit there and fester or they will make their way down to um, to where you guys have, have you know done some great work in collecting them. That's the, the, the first thing is that, you know, that the rates of them are huge. Um, but as you said, it, it's a plastic. And I had to get my head around that, yeah. um, you know, last year. And we'll, we'll go through the, my, my journey of how yeah. that started. But that was the, one of the biggest things to get my head around. As an ex-smoker, I'm like, hang on, I've been smoking this stuff yeah. uh, as a plastic for years. And then you start realizing not just the environmental impact of, as you say, the plastic, but the filter's purpose, of course, to trap all of those you know, toxins from entering the human's body. Yeah. Um, so we just discard it on the ground and it leaches into the soil, into the water and so on. Yeah, and I, th- I just think that just simple message, uh, as, a, as you're saying, as a former smoker, I, I'd say the vast majority of smokers wouldn't even consider this as a plastic item. And look, nothing against the smokers personally, but whilst I might say, oh, yeah, it's a really bad habit, I actually think they might just be uh, just not aware of the fact that they are causing mm-hmm. as much damage as they possibly are to the marine environment. And I just think that simple message of just letting the public know that these cigarette butts are made of plastic would actually be a real big game changer for the majority of people. Like smokers would look at that and go, oh, you know what, didn't realise that, but you know what, I'm going to try a little bit harder to do the right thing and, and essentially put it in the bin. Absolutely. And I think you look at the um, historic success programs where the reductions in littering for things like cans and bottles and even papers and cardboards, lolly wrappers, the, the whole do the right thing campaign or clean up mm. Australia, mm. those sort of things 
we grew up ingrained with them, but no one spoke about cigarette butts. Mm. Uh, no one spoke about them being a plastic. Yeah. So we just all assumed, ah, they're biodegradable. And that's, that's, I think, on my business card. No, they're not biodegradable. <laughs> um, you know, and people assume that they are. Uh, it'll go away. Mother Nature will deal with it. It is a bioplastic. Um, it is, you know, cellulose treated with acetone to create that filter. But because of the treatment and because it is a plastic, it just won't naturally break down. Yeah, and like you indicated, it can take up to 15 years for a cigarette butt to break down in seawater and probably I'd suggest longer in a, in a terrestrial environment. So that's a lot of time for, I guess, the opportunity for, you know, dramas to happen, whether that be a, a, a seabird or something similar ingesting it or, or whatever. I'm not sure. But uh, it's, it's an amazing initiative. And, and to be honest, you're actually – just started this no more butts enterprise and it's not your background let's face it is it so you, you've got a colorful backstory which uh, which we sort of delved in a little bit when we spoke in sydney but you're actually essentially a, an ex sort of corporate high flyer really you're you did a whole bunch of really sort of high profile uh, positions in various high profile companies so nokia microsoft etc is that is that right can you give people a an elevator sort of picture of your career summary yeah. that led you to this crazy enterprise. Absolutely. Yeah. I think the funny thing is that I've almost fallen into everything except for this. This was a deliberate choice. <laughs> and I, I talk about that openly. Like I, I started doing amateur theatre when I was 17 because, you know, I went with mates along to that. That then spawned, you know, an opportunity and, and network of friends that got me into hospitality. And I loved that. And then I started doing a hospitality diploma in, in management. And then I was looking for casual work. And so I fell into a casual job which happened to be with Nokia, of course, that everyone remembers back in the day. Yeah. And, you know, I was lucky enough to be when we were market share number one, you know, 65% market share, and I was lucky enough to be in that corporate journey and then moved across to Microsoft as part of Microsoft's acquisition of Nokia. And so for me to, to come through the side door with no formal education, and I guess they took a chance on me and, and ended up being um, able to lead the sales operations and category management for, for Australia, New Zealand and Pacific Islands. So that was great. And then took the opportunity to travel overseas with work, um, moved to a, to a startup in Philippines. And then I kind of made a conscious decision at that point that uh, everything I'd done, there wasn't much impact on anything really around me except for me. And, you know, there, there was lots of growing, lots of learning and so on and, and great cultural experiences. Mm, mm. But when you start slowing down and you actually look at the environment around you, especially in places like, you know, Philippines in particular, which, you know, I loved and, and lived for two and a half years and Greece, Europe and so on. And then you stop and realize actually how littered, how dirty they actually are. So I kind of just, it was one of these amazing moments of clarity where I just said, I've this is what I need to do. Um, so I resigned, gave my notice and uh, took three months playing Tetris just to keep the brain active, but, you know, <laughs> sort of switch off. Was that playing Tetris on your Nokia uh, phone? Yes, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I was just thinking. Absolutely was. There's lots of loyalty. Whatever happened to Nokia? Because everyone used to have a Nokia phone. Look, and to, in defense of Nokia, their phones were great, really. Like they were, you could you could drop them from like ten stories high and they'd bounce up and keep working, uh, unlike some certain smartphones nowadays. But they had the total market share of uh, seemingly of phones, but do they do still do phones at all? Or yeah, they do. So they um the company called HMD Global, which is a Finnish startup, they basically bought the rights back from uh, right. from Microsoft for the brand. So Nokia as an infrastructure provider still exists, you know, for, right. for 5G networks and so on. Um, and then they licensed the brand for the phone and tablet to a company called HMD Global. So 
But in Australia in particular, um, very low market share. Right, um, right. You know, you, you'd be able to find it somewhere in Harvey Norman in the back cupboard. Um, <laughs> they are great devices. Um, yeah. I swear by them, the yeah. durability and everything. Yeah. Um, but certainly they're not a, a mainstream brand anymore. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So you've, you've taken three months of, and playing Tetris, and I'm guessing a little bit of uh, Snake on the on the Nokia phone as well. But w- w- how did this whole, whole no buts, no more buts initiative start? So the the penultimate moment for the, the – a very clear moment of transparency for me. I was, I was lying in a hammock in EOS in Greece. Oh, and if you ever had the opportunity, <laughs> I would recommend it. Um, but I'd, I'd actually, the day before we were in Santorini, I was on a, on a trip with some friends and uh, we were in Santorini and I'd noticed on, on the beach there, on Black Beach, significant amount of cigarette butt litter and also significant amount of plastic bottles. So I just happened to start collecting the cigarette butts and putting them into the bottles whilst everyone else is sort of sun lounging. And um, mm. I, I kind of, yeah, I felt, you know, despite being sort of disgusting and smelly, it's like this actually feels really good to be able to kind of do something, you know, and, uh, and I actually made a quip at dinner, I think it was later that night or the night after after reflecting on it, I'm like, someone's got to do something about it. There's, mm. there's no buts about it. And I, I use that pun for the first time. And so in the back of my mind, whilst I was going through, okay, where's that impact and how do I, you know, go through the resignation and starting up a, a company from scratch, mm. there's sort of no more buts um, and no buts about it sort of really stuck to me. And I thought, yep, that's that's what it's got to be. Yeah. And so, okay, you, you've identified a problem. You thought you've got a great you know, pun intended slogan and, and, and name, but then what? So you've, you've gone from sort of working at all these different companies and obviously probably very well reimbursed for your time and you've gone, you know what, I'm actually going to tackle this significant environmental issue. So what does the day one look like? Yeah, so basically I said, you know, let's let's make things happen by 1st of July. So 27th of June, did a, all the research into legal entities, right, company structure, you know, the directorship, bank accounts, domain registrations, trademark registrations, the whole lot, and mm. accelerated that really quickly. Uh, I had a, a vision in my mind of success not only for what the, the charitable purpose is, i.e. the protection of the environment, uh, but also what should we look like, be, stand for, you know, as, as a charity. Mm-hmm. Um, so we are a registered environmental charity. Um, charitable purpose is protection of the, the natural environment. So it's an amazing learning journey and, and it's actually so humbling coming from a corporate environment where, you know, you work your way up, you've got the, the knowledge and the skills in that what you think is a broad spectrum of, of things to do yeah. and you become a master certainly and, and you're looking for the challenge. Uh, so many challenges in, in setting this up. Everything from you know, constitutions and rewriting constitutions and making sure that uh, yeah. it was all compliant with ASIC and then ACNC and so on. So that in itself was an incredible humbling journey. Yeah. Kind of go back to all the paperwork and I love getting stuff done myself. You know, I thought you could outsource that stuff to, to a lawyer to do, but you know, part of this is about continuous learning for myself as well. Um, so yeah, so the company structure was all set up, uh, and then that kind of base basically prompted me to to kind of formally start doing what I call butt patrols. Um, <laughs> and butt patrols are literally just me going out and, and picking up cigarette butts. So bought myself a high vis t shirt, got it screen printed with no more butts with a QR code, um, and starting pick, started picking up cigarette wow. butts, and that was. That was also amazing is, you know, people are like, hang on a sec, you were sitting behind a corporate desk three yeah. months ago, you know, yeah. running this, doing this, and now you're picking up cigarette butts. What happened? <laughs> <laughs> 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at UH1.com. Yeah. Um, don't quite know. But no, it's in anything. Um, you, you learn about your market, what the issue is, what the opportunity is, and there's no point you know, just researching behind a computer, you actually have to get out there and, yeah. and look at look at the trends and talk to the people and look at the infrastructure and look at the awareness and so on. And so so what is the key goal of No More Butts? What's the vision? What's the mission statement? Uh, I mean, we're basically target is a butt-free environment now. Sort of, again, that's sort of loosely, obviously, environment, but also surrounds. Mm-hmm. Um, and naturally, we want to be global because the issue is global. However, I suppose the reason why, you know, I wanted to study get this started in Australia is firstly, you know, so much easier regulatory-wise mm. and, and being an Australian myself. But if in such a developed market we've got such an issue with so many regulations in place, yeah. if we can crack it here, it would be so easy to scale and, and you know, across other markets where you've got massive populations where the cost of cigarettes isn't uh, so high, where it's not regulated, where there's really low infrastructure. So certainly our, our aim is to you know, tackle cigarette butt uh, litter on a global scale. And we kind of were approaching it from as many different angles as possible, everything from, um, you know, lobbying for change, whether that be through tobacco or government, whether that be on regulating materials, whether that be on redirection of taxation revenue, through to awareness, infrastructure and recycling. So there's lots of different things which we're tackling. Yeah, look, uh, Thomas, it's a total credit to you because obviously it's very easy for everyone to sort of look at a, a problem and, and think someone should do something about it. But very seldom does someone actually say, you know, I'm the person, I'm going to look after that. And then to have to go through the rigmarole of, like you've just indicated, all the sort of, I guess, the administrative business setup uh, hoops you've got to jump through. It's it's quite the process and it's certainly not easy and it's certainly probably time-consuming. And like you said, it's, it's a skill set you might not have had to uh, apply before. So I think from that perspective, I think a lot of people could actually learn from you just in, in, in that sort of few initial steps. But certainly... When I, look, when I think of cigarette butts, it's obviously not a it's not a new issue. We've known that cigarette butts is a, is a key pollutant for a long time, and obviously there's a lot of money associated with cigarette butts as well. So it's just it's almost surprising that it sort of hasn't had some significant action around this issue. So look, total credit to yourself, but. Uh, I guess the key question um, that I would have now is that, okay, how are you going to achieve a, a butt-free environment? 
yeah. in Australia initially? Yeah. So I think the, focusing on, on systemic changes in um, you know, legislation is one of those key things. And, and that could be anywhere between you know, smoke-free public areas such as beaches. Mm-hmm. And many councils are already implementing mm-hmm. those. Yeah. It's sort of essentially a bylaw that just needs to be validated at a, at a state level. Mm. Um, so that's sort of one of the things. There's successes of, um, of smoke zones, um, i.e. everywhere else is a smoke-free area, but you, you can kind of call it a smoke zone because mm. it's only, you know, 1% of the land mass, but it's going to help address 10% of people's behaviour. Mm. So that's certainly one mm. one thing, you know, seeing that work in places like Singapore in particular, where they do have, you know, this street, Orchard Road, is, is non-smoking. Mm. Um, you kind of got to go 50 metres down the side road mm. um, stand in a blue box if you actually want to smoke. Japan being, you know, similar, of course. So that, that's sort of one of the areas is is legislation and that sort of can be either at a, a local a state or a, a federal level but i'm i'm a huge believer in, in making sure that awareness and education is there mm. and i think you touched on it earlier is that you can blame someone for their habit for, for smoking arguably it's an addiction but mm. it's still a, a choice initially mm. but if you haven't informed them on the environmental impact of their littering behavior their littering decision i think it's very hard to from day one go there's your 330 dollars fine depending on what state you're in mm. um so education and awareness is critical um so did you realize that this 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 and this there's also a lot of um there's no uniformity between states when it comes to things like uh, fines um for littering out of a car littering in a car uh, sorry littering on the ground whether it's lit whether it's extinguished if you can smoke four meters from a public door or if it's five meters if you can smoke 10 meters from a children's playground or a bus stop and there's a lot of rulemaking and i say this you know as a relatively new researcher on the topic so obviously there's lots of considerations but um when you look at a smoker's behavior they want to have a smoke before they get on the bus now, I'm not saying that that's pleasant to the people around you, but by putting a, an ashtray or mandating that an ashtray can't be within 10 metres of a bus stop, um, it's actually it's almost perpetuating the issue because they're going to do the behaviour mm, anyway. Yeah. Um, so how do you address you know, yeah. those, those changes um, yeah. from an infrastructure perspective? I guess something that we spoke about uh, briefly when we first caught up was around this issue of the, the role that the tobacco industry might have uh, and product stewardship. So do you want to just... Broadly, I guess, explain what actually product stewardship is and how it could actually apply to tobacco and cigarettes. Yeah, I think, I mean, product stewardship and, and you can almost sort of talk about extended producer responsibility because sometimes they are slightly interchangeable. But I think sort of extended producer responsibility usually just encompasses the, the, the producer, um, as it would suggest. So in this case, it would be you know, tobacco. And there's many markets around the world which do have those kind of schemes in place where the producers are actually required to partially fund and subsidise things such as litter collection events and um, and the cost of that. So San Francisco, for example, there's a case where the city actually used data to identify the true cost of cleanup and they're actually charging the tobacco companies for that. So that that's kind of an extended producer responsibility. Mm. I think when you look at product stewardship overall, it, it's kind of the overall impacts of, of the products and materials at the different stages of, of their production. And I think the key thing is that it's actually about who is involved in the product throughout its whole life cycle. And that's everything from product design. So you, you'll hear a term called design for environment. Mm-hmm. Um, so in, that, in this case, we'd be talking probably about filters. We'd be talking about the, the packaging materials and so on. But then you're also looking at things like retailers. So, you know, supermarkets, um, it's certainly a couple of years ago, number one revenue generating item 
is cigarettes. Mm. Uh, so they've got to play a part in providing mm. solutions, not necessarily to charge them, but how do you actually use their point of sale? How do you either educate consumers through there? How do you start talking about things like portable ashtrays, you know, the pocket ashtrays mm. and so on? Yeah. And then you look at councils, you look at waste and recycling organisations, you look at communities that might be over-indexed, you know, impacted by behaviours of smoking and, and hence littering, uh, whether that's looking at um, a homeless community, whether that's looking at people that you know, have mental health, whether that be Indigenous communities. Even, um, you know, if you look at the LBGTI community as well, like that, the, the index of smoking is higher in these. That's per the, the you know, tobacco report. So it'd be great to actually work with those guys to understand, you know, how much awareness that they actually have. So product stewardship, I guess, really is that, you know, that cross-sectoral engaging everyone who's, who's engaged with that product, everything from the inception right through the consideration of ex- end-of-life extension. Yeah, yeah. It's very easy to sort of, I guess, stigmatise the smoker saying, oh, it's your to blame, you're the one flicking your cigarette butts on the ground, etc. But obviously, there's a whole bunch of groups, specifically the uh, the manufacturer of the other cigarettes, I guess the tobacco industry, but also the wholesale etc the, the the supermarkets and the shops etc that you've indicated and i guess they all have a role to play and to be honest to the credit of the tobacco industry and i and i use the term very carefully that they actually are tr- essentially trying to get their head around this issue uh, I, I i remember sitting down with at the litter congress a couple of years ago and there was a, a couple of representatives from a tobacco industry group and they, they were basically there saying look they were very sheepish about being in there they were sort of trying to keep on the down low that they were where they were from at the very least that they, that they were very um, I guess transparent saying, look, we know we're part of the problem uh, and we want to understand that problem and ideally be part of the solution. Their goal is, is not to sell, it's not to sell cigarettes. It's probably just to make profit. Mm. Uh, but also, they also recognize that there's probably a, there's probably commercial advantages and actually coming up with a, a potentially an environmental cigarette yep. that isn't made of plastic, for example. But also, yeah. they also don't want to be an excessive burden to, to the environment because obviously yep. that, gives them a bad name as well, uh, and us rightfully so. Yeah. yeah. So how, how do you go about working with the tobacco industry around this sort of issue? Yeah, I think, you know, it's a sensitive topic. You know, any topic such mm. as tobacco and, and, you know, related, um, whether they're, you know, addictions or whether it's, um, you know, sort of the product itself is deemed to be, you know, not, you know, a healthy product per se. Um, mm. But I think the everyone deserves a, a voice or at least an opportunity to sit at the table to discuss the outcomes. Mm. If they choose not to engage, then I think that's certainly where you, you would call on federal government to have more of a mandatory kind of approach when it comes to this. But certainly our our feedback, mm. you know, has been positive to neutral from a couple of the groups and the other ones that have haven't wanted to engage. I think, mm. you know, respectfully, I probably won't name and shame on, on this podcast. Yeah, um, but, yeah, But certainly there's one that's, um, you know, actively engaged, but all three recognise, as you say, that there is a change in the market. The, the revenues are declining. The smokers are declining. They need to look at, at flipping their business model and making profit from other areas. Mm. Lots of their focus is on R&D for sustainable products, for smoke-free alternatives and so on. Yeah. Um, so I don't think they're, they're ever shirking the responsibility, but it's probably more so how can they communicate in a market like Australia where there is such harsh and penalty-based guidelines around tobacco advertising. Uh, right down to packaging, let alone what they can put. Mm. It's very hard, I suppose, for them, um, not defending them, but very hard for them to actually do a lot of this stuff, which they could do without having aggregate, you know, or middle 
um, companies such as ourselves or, or other environmental organisations that can actually deliver these programs on their behalf. Yeah, and one of the things I remember, if, if you are okay, if you're not allowed to talk about this, but one of the things I remember you, you mentioned in our chat was cigarette companies are actually in a difficult position and actually talking about the initiatives that they're actually uh, either supporting or looking at because if they were to come out and say, we're doing this or we're doing that initiative, that still comes under the umbrella of cigarette or tobacco advertising, mm-hmm. which has its own restrictions limitations. Is, is, that, is that a fair call? Yeah, I mean, I've, I've read through the act, and whilst not a, I'm not a lawyer, I think the it's relatively clear that you know they can't promote their brand necessarily, which is associated with the products which they sell. Um, they certainly can't promote the act of, yeah. of smoking in itself. So it becomes quite hard. You sort of can't say, "Hey, you know, this company has actually contributed to um, all of this positive work." Certainly not from a, hmm. a proactive PR kind of strategy. You know, I think the there are campaigns and initiatives which they have said that they do fund, um, whether that be localised clean-up events, whether that be you know partial funding to for people to run awareness campaigns. So there's certainly some work being done in the background. But, you know, if I'm them and trying to capitalise or get an ROI, you know, if I'm mm. a shareholder in that mm. company and wanted to get an ROI about, you know, doing a, a message around clean-up events, it's very hard to calculate what that yeah. looks like because there's no you know, positive brand perception that could ever come Yeah, so let's, let's talk about funding then. So obviously cigarette uh, litter is a, is a big problem. There's some sensitivities around the, the financial implications and obviously tobacco companies have to be very mindful about how they actually augment or fund initiatives. So how do we actually fund the activities around trying to mitigate this problem? Yeah, I think, I mean, our, our big giant proposal which I sort of dropped, you know, at, at the Litter Congress with um, government federal government representatives in the room. Um, if you look at actually the budget for this year, next year, etc., it's kind of a relatively flat line. Uh, and again, these are billions, so don't fall off your chair. <laughs> about $15.6 billion uh, in federal government duties and excise on tobacco sales. So basically when you sell the product and it's regulated and the price will go up in line with a set, you know, inflation rate and so on, and that's what they look at in the budget. So they can project out the next two or three years based off, you know, expected sales and and so on. And so you'll see your packet increasing that two or three or four dollars in line with that inflation. And that's to to essentially get that revenue in. So if you look at yeah, fifteen point six billion dollars as a benchmark, and my whole comment. Is, so that's just in Australia. That's, that's, that's Australia. That's just in Australia. That's Australia. Federal government. My goodness! So hang on, backtrack. So the federal government is making fifteen point six billion dollars every year out of taxing cigarettes. Yes, um, and I guess the assumption is that that probably goes to Treasury to, to general budget. I don't know how much of that is allocated proportionally to health, obviously, because there'd be lots of initiatives to cover there. But my whole pitch is, can we get 1% of that, please? 1% of that you know, will actually go towards, I believe, solving, not entirely, certainly the bulk of our cigarette butt litter issue, and that's through national awareness campaigns, standardisation of legislation, terminology, smoking areas, etc., as well as funding you know, litter cleanup events and, and recycling initiatives. So 1% um, is, is nothing. Obviously, someone still needs to account for it because it is probably not earmarked at the moment. But I look at the reverse model, and if I say at the moment how much cost are councils 
individuals actually incurring on a local level to clean up cigarette butt litter, to empty the cigarette butt bins mm, for local yeah. community groups to do these initiatives themselves. There's a cost associated with that. So all we're actually doing is moving it from one area to another because all the money is still in the ether. It's just allocating it from a federal level rather from from council or state. Has anyone sort of done some analysis about the cost of doing that at a local level, like the, the cost of cleanups, the cost of council works, et cetera? I, I think there's there's small parts and we've we've extrapolated out, we've estimated some basic data and, and you could kind of say, and that's where we got that 1% number there or thereabouts. Because mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. if you've assumed that what we basically looked at is a state-based percentage population split of smokers per state. And then we looked at if there's, mm. for example, then 1.32 billion cigarette butts littered in New South Wales at a fill rate of a three-litre bin of a 1,000 per week, how many would, bins would we need? How much would that cost to deploy? Mm. So mm. we've kind of backwards engineered it. It's not scientific fact. Yeah. I think the, there's a huge gap, though, and a massive opportunity for councils in their data collection because – at the moment, if you look at, um, I'm in uh, Cairns at the moment, sort of not far from Palm Cove, and I spent most of my year last year there, a beautiful spot in Queensland. And council has done arguably the right thing. They've got, you know, six poles installed along the waterfront. Um, I still will collect a 1,000 a week in such a small community that are littered, um, but they've at least got the infrastructure. But they can't tell me um, how often it's emptied, what time of day it's emptied, how many are in there when they collect them, what's the weight, what's the um, volumetric, what's the count. So we actually don't know what was the cost of that infrastructure, the cost to service it, to actually get that bench lo- that benchmark. Um, and that's why I think having a data set is, is critical. And that could just be the, the service contractor empties it. Oh, okay, that's about a quarter full. That's going to be a 1,000 bucks. You record it and then you go, okay, well, that infrastructure cost me you know, 325 a year to maintain divided by the amount of butts is this. Therefore, Mr. Tobacco, you owe me a brand percentage proportionate share of that cost. I, th- I th- actually think this is something that we might be able to help you offline. Like, so at Ocean Protect, we, we maintain storm treatment assets and we know exactly how much it costs to maintain our assets. And obviously, there's a whole bunch of other groups and, and particularly local governments that go out and maintain their storm treatment assets. And, and if you're saying, oh, yeah, roughly 20% of all littered items are, are cigarette butts, it's a fairly reasonably simple calculation to say, okay, look, I, I'm spending this X amount of money on the maintenance of storm treatment assets times that by 20% would give you a very rough cost associated with cleaning up or preventing cigarette butts from entering the marine environment. Thanks for listening to the Ocean Protect podcast. Episodes are released weekly and the next episode will feature part two of this chat. If you'd like to find out more about us and what we do, check us out at oceanprotect.com.au.